Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 3, Episode 3, Dead Soldiers. Um, as always, I'm joined by one, Robert Sapp. How you doing, Mr. Sapp? Doing very well. Doing very well. Hopefully everybody's staying dry. Yeah, yeah, a little ugly out there today as in comparison to yesterday, which was beautiful. Um, this episode, of course, is ranked by Vulture uh, 46th of all, all time. So they really didn't particularly care too much for this episode, but you know, didn't hate it. Uh, directed by Rob Bailey, you had the epigraph, The Gods Will Not Save You by one Commissioner Burrell. And truer, 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 there, there may not have ever been a truer epigraph than that, than that, The Gods Will Not Save You in regards to this show. Just, uh, just you know, we'll flush that out. Themes, um, very simple to me, unhappy bosses. There were a number of bosses that were just not happy with the work, with the work that was being put out by their subordinates. We will flush that out over the course of this episode. Opening scene, we go to Comstat. Uh, our buddy, Major Taylor, just, you know, gets, uh, continues to get berated by Rawls. Um, he, uh, they put him out of his misery, have his second command take his position as, as the new major in that particular district. Um, Rawls was in his asshole bag in this scene. Now, last week, me and you had a slight, a slight disagreement on, you know, Rawls and how he came about, you know, Taylor's confidence in Rawls was being an asshole. This scene, this, this, or I will not argue whatsoever this particular scene he was in his I mean, he's telling a story about a, a little girl who grows up to be a prostitute who doesn't want your job because the western district is not going we're not going to have a western district in 20 years and he goes into just yeah he, he go, just major Ross. i mean we've seen this over the course of three seasons with, with him but he was in his asshole bag during this particular scene and then of course you had burrell finish it up clean you know finish it up with you know listen um, take the you know replaces replaces him with uh, his second in command. Um, before that, before they came entered the room, he was yakking in the bathroom. So that kind of would foreshadow what was going to happen. He you know hacking in the bathroom and telling Bunny Coven, I don't want to I don't want to think what these motherfuckers can do to me. So he already he, he was ready. He was ready to be taken out of his misery. I don't think he really. Uh, going to complain about that at all, considering at least he won't be getting berated anymore to have to stand in front of that front line with, you know, with Rawls and Burrell coming at him. So you had that going on. Then you had Bunny in front of the, the uh, Rawls and Burrell as well. Bunny basically said, Bunny is like, um, no, no, I'm actually going ahead. Bunny was, this was, this was, they'll give Bunny a, a, another scene. So, uh, Taylor basically said they're gonna sell their drugs regardless of you know where we had where we you know where they move they're gonna move they move he says basically says kid they they go from corner to corner Taylor says I deployed my resources as per your instructions and they still continue to sell drugs so uh, in which and by the way he's right uh, from that standpoint so you had that going on uh, for that particular scene um, what were your thoughts on this opening scene? Yeah, I think two things. The first thing is more writing based in terms of um, kind of like what I what lean off of what I said last week, like you can see the continued elevation of the writing 
in, in this episode, particularly in the, uh, uh, specifically when we're talking about this um, this beginning scene, just kind of like of the just you, you, we're noticing um, uh, actors getting lots and lots of dialogue to chew on. So the Rawls character getting lots and lots of dialogue to to chew on, um, and that will be not only a staple from now on but it'll, i mean not only staple from this entire episode but it'll be also be a staple from from now on throughout the throughout the wire um the second thing is uh the saying shit rolls downhill so this is yeah this is showing how a uh policy initiative that is started by the mayor's office to get um uh uh what's his name um uh the politician uh why am i blanking um carcetti to get carcetti off of off his back um is now starting to roll downhill so in order to get those numbers and of course burrell to be permanent commissioner get his permanent commissioner seat um in order to get those numbers they have to put pressure on their their direct subordinates so that they can put pressure on their direct subordinates and so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. And so again, it's another example as how initiatives, how policy, how things that come that are coming down that the that the uh, police officers, detectives that we see have to execute how that is not coming from a place of public safety. Right, right. Uh, Omar, Tasha, Dante, and Kimmy, they are casing another Barksdale stash house. Um, and they, you know, you, you have them in the car having a conversation as, you know, they're, they're waiting, actually Omar, well, they are casing, they are casing stash house, but Omar is, is the one that's out there really casing it, uh, really casing it. They're in the car, Tasha, Dante, and Kimmy are in the car having a conversation joking a little bit then uh you see a barksdale car a car run past not run past drive past they they hide real quick before omar gets back omar um tells them like yeah they got you know it's a lot of muscle up there but by morning they're gonna scale down to uh three-man skeleton crews keep that keep that thought in mind i mean keep that statement in mind because i'm gonna get back to that one later on the episode so one of the girls, I believe it was Kim Tasha, says, starts to question, why do we have to keep robbing Barksdale stash houses? It's easier out there. Kimmy, Kimmy agrees totally. And, you know, Omar basically has no retort to that. He basically says, because, and that's it. So uh, this, this, of course, will be a major setup for what transpires further down later in the episode. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, my my big thought is this is the beginning of Omar's fatal flaw right here. And so we, we've talked a lot about the Omar character and how the Omar character, uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of great things about the character. Um, but one of the things that's not so great. And like I said, like, I believe ultimately to be his fatal flaw is that he can't uh, take his eyes off of the Barksdale and Tasha calls him out on it. And you're absolutely right. He had no answer for it because it's personal. It's absolutely personal. There's no business reason 
for the business that they're in for him to continuously target just one crew. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, you could say it's borderline irresponsible, um, and we'll get to that a little bit later. No question. I'll uh, leave it at that. Yep. Um, yeah, Bonky McNulty. So we see a suspect that's been beat up in the interrogation room. Uh, Bonk explains how that happened. Uh, the Western, and this, matter of fact, this was the suspect that was a part of the Dozeman that allegedly- Shot Doberman. Yeah, shot, shot Doberman. Dozeman. Dozeman, yes, Dozeman. So yeah. uh, Bonk explains to McNulty, they took him, they, the Western boys took him for a, as a piñata, uh, uh, treating him like a piñata and beat the shit out of him, which they did. And then we um, we have Bunk looking at D'Angelo Barksdale's uh, photos that, that uh, McNulty has brought over for him to see. Um, and Bunk, you know, Bunk basically confirms what McNulty probably already knows, already knows saying that, uh, already knows that this was not, that this was a murder, not a suicide. Uh, and then we also find out, and this is where, this is, I love this part of, uh, of the scene. You figure that they have the suspect that the case is that the Dozeman case would be down and would be that that would be a clear clearance, a clearance. No, 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 no. The case isn't the bunks. So um, the older guy, I forgot his name, comes by, who's a not who's a notch below Rawls, uh, a deputy. He's a deputy. He's a notch below Rawls. Or no, maybe he's not a deputy. He's he's bunks boss, but a notch below Rawls comes by and says. This case isn't down to recover Dozeman's gun. So, raw. I mean, Bunk is, of course, like you know, basically like what the fuck? Like, you know, I got, I got, you know, chase a gun. McNulty, of course, agrees, saying out of all the guns in Baltimore, you know, who cares about one? You know, who cares about one gun? Um, yeah, I, I, I just cannot imagine as a homicide officer. Well having a case where we have the guy and the case is down because we haven't recovered a gun. So yeah, that 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 really jumped out to me in this particular scene. What were your thoughts? Uh this is this is um this is this is plot. This is this is a plot. This is plot. To move the plot to, to like further to, to move the plot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. so would you agree that this was not a great piece of writing? Uh I don't know if I necessarily like I don't have the same type of feeling towards it that I had when they were kind of like keeping McNulty busy in season okay. two. Okay. I was, I was, um, I was gonna get on that. Yeah. But but it does it is a little bit forced in the same thing of they need to figure out a way to connect bunk to the investigate to the overall investigation that will ultimately end up or or they, they need to not not the overall they're not doing that this this season like that um the, they they need a way to connect bunk to what's going on and as we follow how this gun tracks yes we'll be able to we'll see what the connection is absolutely yeah we'll, we'll find that out yeah I completely agree with that but it's de it's definitely this is something to move the plot along yes. Stringer and Prop Joe, they Stringer and Prop Joe meet out in, a, in, in the rain. Um, Stringer tells Prop Joe tells Stringer that the cops blew their wire um, with the cheese case, um, and he recommends that he keeps a low 
profile and uh, keeps keeps a low profile and keeps and keeps the cops bored. Uh, quick scene, but you know, very important scene. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I mean, like the my big thing is that uh, Prop Joe and Stringer see eye to eye in their theory about how the drug game should be. Um, and so it makes sense that 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 they're connected in all of this. Otherwise, this is the beginning of this is this is not even the beginning. This is another detail in everything that we've been talking about in terms of Stringer, Prop Joe, Avon, the drug game, Omar, all that. This is just another detail. What Prop Joe is essentially telling him, as you said, was. Like no nothing that draws the police to them, and also nothing, don't give them any more. They know they're on them. Don't give them anything. Also, you had both of them confirming that they don't talk on neither one of them talks on the phone. Prop Joe asks, right. "I don't talk on the phone. Do you talk on the phone?" Stringer says, "Of course, she right. no." You had that no. as well. Colvin and yeah. Mello, they are in. Uh, they are looking for spots. Of course, to execute Colvin's plan about a plan, which we, you know, talked about last uh, last podcast. So this is a lot. This scene was definitely a lot of setup scene. So they're looking at various spot, vacant spots to set up what uh, Colvin's grand plan. Uh, any thoughts on this? Set up. Arketti and and Tony Gray. So and a reporter as well. So. Carcetti is beating him in this game called Liar's Poker. I don't know. Have you ever played Liar's Poker? I mean, there's essentially, it's just straight up gambling. Okay. So, I mean, there, there's no necessary requisite skill to it. It's just, okay. Okay. I mean, you might as well be gambling on, which is when I pull the guard, card out the deck, which is the highest card, so right? Like, yeah, like it will be a king or will it be a deuce. Yeah, just ABC version of gambling. Yeah, they're just gambling. They're just literally just sitting there, just gambling. So he's beating, he's beating him, and like beating him badly. Um, which I, I think I never thought about this prior to watching the scene. Many times I've seen it, which actually makes sense in terms of the direction of where their characters are going to go and what type, what type of character Carcetti is. Anyway. So Carcetti, the reporter comes up, Carcetti tells the reporter it's not going to be uh, academy class for the cadets, blames, and he says that the blames the high crime rate on Royce, on Royce for not funding police training, um, and tells the reporter, you know, you confirm that, I got some quotes, I'll have some more quotes for you. Um, Gray, the, the reporter asked Tony Gray, does he want any part of this from that standpoint? He's like, nope. I'm good. I love, you know, I love my, I love my mayor. And then after, after the reporter leaves, you have Gray questioning Carcetti. He's asking him, say, you, you know, you're trying to stir some shit up. And then Carcetti says, mm, maybe a little bit. And the scene wraps up with, uh, at that. What were your thoughts? Uh, yeah. So um, this is an important scene for a lot of different reasons. I, I think you nailed it like early on, like when you were talking about like, the the like how this scene sets up both of their characters you're absolutely right um so i i won't i won't talk about like the card part of it the thing that i noticed that kind of like concurs with what you're saying is um when the p reporter comes in um initially 
uh, Tony's going to leave. He starts to get up to leave. And Carcetti just kind of has a motion that just kind of like says, sit down. So basically just kind of like watch and see how I'm going to play this. Um, and, uh, uh, and so, so I'll, I'll wrap back up to, to, to that point. Um, but this is also, uh, particularly an important scene because it kind of opens, it, it gives us the rules to how, um, how the political, how this is played, how the game is played. Um, and so, uh, and so like, let's take, for example, any kind of like political whatever um and you have the quotes and the sources and everything sometimes unnamed sometimes on the record off the record all the different ways in which it goes um this kind of gives us the the rule book right carquette we know carquette has a, another those of us who watch it knows what his ultimate goal is but we know even at this point there's something bigger that he's after um, people can probably guess and assume, and even I think in watching the show and, and and at the time, it was fairly obvious what what he was what he was what his ultimate goal was. But um, but without spoiling that, he he has bigger goals in mind, and so he's going to chip away at at Rawls. And we talk about how one of the big things is is that he needs a snitch, and so this is the second. Like the first one was just the first thing was just to draw Rawls in, get him the easy win with the uh, the bands back. This is now the more complicated one. This is now where the game really, really begins because not only does he have to get Rawls what he wants, but he also has to make the mayor look bad in the process, but also can't lose Rawls either in the process. He can't lose his snitch inside Come the inner Burrell. circle. Come on, Burrell. Not yeah, Burrell. Sorry, sorry. I said Rawls. Burrell. I meant Burrell. Sorry. Um, so um yeah, yeah so he needs Burrell and he can't lose Burrell as, as his snitch so um so he has to figure out a way Carcetti has to figure out a way to make the mayor look bad he has to figure out a way to get um Burrell his class but he also has to do it in a way that doesn't that doesn't um get uh uh that doesn't alienate um, Burrell um but also also, he's setting. This is this is why it's like this is why it's so important. Also, he's setting up. He needs the idea to be installed in Tony Gray's head for what he needs to do in the future. Yes. So that's why he doesn't let Tony Gray leave that room. Yes. That's that's next level playing, right? Yeah. Like like he can not only see the things that he can do like that he has direct control over, but then he needs to manipulate other people to play their parts in order to help him out. Yeah, um, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, there's a lot of moving pieces in this scene and this is, it's a short scene, but it's a very important scene. Very important scene. And I, it reminds me, it foreshadows, forget about The Wire, it foreshadows this actor in terms of the type of character he would play in Game of Thrones in terms of Littlefinger. This is like some little finger shit right here that he was that he was doing. That's how, so that's, that's what I thought of, thought about when you know as you're describing this. Like this is this is little this is little finger before little finger. Um, that you know in terms of how he's setting this up with the with the chess game and he's doing you know, all these moves ahead. Um, so yeah, I completely agree with everything you said. And like you said, he needs he he is a balancing. It's a lot of lot of things he's trying to do, 
and uh, it needs a lot of things to happen in order for it to uh, come through, uh, to go through. Um, Colvin and Mello, uh, they they had they, you know, again they continue they you know looking at places, but they also Mello lets Colvin lets Mello know that the bosses don't know about this at all. So that, that again, this is a short scene, but he lets Mello know that, of course, the bosses, you know, the bosses know nothing about about this plan that he's tr trying to uh, that he's going to try to enact. Um, we get to the detail. So the detail, uh, Daniels announces that we had that they have a new target named Kenta Williamson Williamson, who's not nobody big, you know, local dealer, not even deal, maybe even a higher above dealer, a guy who's dropping bodies and who has a couple of corners, uh, nobody on the, certainly on the level of Prop Joe or Stringer. And of course you have Kima, and by the way, McNulty was not at this meeting. Uh, he was doing his own thing with, you know, ch with D'Angelo Barstow chasing, you know, looking, looking for that. Uh, so you have, um, everybody is basically like, okay, this is what we're gonna do, except Kima, Kima's complaining about, you know, we're going, we're shifting, we're, you know, we're just quitting Prop Joe and Stringer over a blown wire. And, you know, she channels her inner, inner McNulty from that standpoint. And, and uh, Pres, Pres Belusky jokes, jokes about, jokes with about that uh, at the latter part of the scene. Uh, so they, the big part is the, the detail has shifted now to a, you know, another drug dealer because he, because he is dropping bodies. And that's, that is the mandate around the district now we, we gotta you know we gotta calm down these, these we gotta bring down this murder rate and like you to your point about shit trickling down that's you know this is you know the mayor you know carcetti to the mayor to rawls now now the detail is the detail is feeling that effect uh, of all those decisions and moving parts as well what were your thoughts no nah, you made the point that's it uh you have so mcnulty goes to jessup um, he reenacts McNulty, not McNulty, D'Angelo in terms of the hanging or, you know, in terms of the murder, he, he reenacts that and of course confirms what we already knew and what he, what he, uh, what he probably, what he thought of, thought of as well, that D'Angelo Barksdale did not kill himself, that, it was, that his death was indeed a, uh, a murder. Um, what were your thoughts? Set up. Uh, Coven and Mello, Mello again continue. Coven and Mello continuing to look at spots uh, for his, you know, for his plan. You know, that's of course that is a setup scene. Uh, Carcetti and Burrell. So Carcetti gets on the phone with Burrell. Um, he tells Burrell. He gives Burrell about the heads up about the uh, the reporter asking him questions about the, the academy class, and tells him to no comment. He tells him to no comment. The reporter Burrell, of course, is you know besides himself because he does not want to be exposed um, as a snitch and doesn't, you know, doesn't want to look bad from that standpoint. So, but Carcetti's like, look, you know, you got your, you know, I, I got, you know, I, I took care of you. Don't worry about it. If the reporter asks questions, just simply no comment the, the reporter. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. this is uh, set up, but pretty much uh, just, just um, hammers home what we were talking about. So we get to we get to Cuddy and Grace's Grace's sister. 
Grace, of course, is his uh, Cuddy's old flame back in the day when he was out there, when he was out there dealing, you know, as an enforcer for the Barksdales. He's looking for, um, he's looking for Grace. He runs into her sister, he runs into his, his uh, her sister who is a crackhead. And she tells him, she tells him where to go find, uh, she tells him where to go find Grace, basically. Yeah, shut up. Omar, uh, so we get to the big scene. Omar, Kima, Kima, not Kima, Kimmy, Dante, and Tasha. So they robbed the Barksdale stash house. Um, they get into a gunfight with the Barksdales in which Dante accidentally shoots Tasha before they get to the car. You had one of, and you also had uh, Kim, uh, Kima, uh, Kimmy shooting one of the Barksdale soldiers. Um, just like, and you know, watching this scene, just a horrible plan um, altogether. Um, couple questions here. So there were, I counted at least five to six Barksdale soldiers. Um, the reason why I say that is Omar told the crew that they're going to scale back to a skeleton crew of three. Um, I think, this is my personal opinion, I think he purposely misled his crew. I don't think he... No. Uh, you don't think Sorry, no. You don't think, okay. No. So Omar underestimated, of course, well, Omar miscalculated. Omar miscalculated. There you go. Miscalculates how many Barksdale soldiers there were going to be, which, by the way, to me, is a, you know, obviously is a huge mistake, but to me, you know, this is where, you know, getting to your point about his, you know, being so sought out on vengeance that it, cl- it, 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 it just, it clouds his judgment because they're waiting for him. They're absolutely, they are absolutely waiting. They're, yeah. He, yep. they, he basically, yep. he basically goes, the point. he basically goes into an ambush. Yep. Yep, and that's the point, and, you know, and gets and you know, in essence, gets one of his yep. uh, gets one of his soldiers, one of his partners killed. Yep. Matter. Yep. Um, you know, we go back to season one. Um, we we had a disagreement about him coming at uh, Avon, and um, in terms of how bad that plan was. This is like twenty times worse because at least, at least, yep. at least he had, at least he almost, at least the plan with Avon had things where you go through Pop Joe, you get the number, you get Weebay's number, so at least that had some steps to a plan. And he almost, he, you know, he almost, he almost killed Avon. He got close, just just missed the shot. This one, there was no rhyme or reason. This this plan was fucked from jump. Like this had this plan had no chance. Whatsoever, it was only a matter. Of, it was only a matter of time before one, before somebody got killed, which somebody did get killed. Um, yeah, this is this is not. This was a, this was Omar completely just, you know, allowing his emotion to get in the way of his normally sound judgment. What were your thoughts? Yeah, no, that that like he hit all the major points. I mean, like the that's why I called it his, his fatal flaw, and 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 that's why it was important for Tasha to call him out. And that's I mean, and then we see the the result. With Tasha's depth, that's why that's why this all resonates so heavily and should resonate so heavily, um, because she called it out from the beginning, and he ignored that call out. Um, and uh, anyone in Omar's position, this we are we are absolutely on the same page on this one, because anyone in Omar's position should know 
um, even if his recon told them they were going on a skeleton crew, the fact that what Tasha said, they've exclusively been hitting the Barksdale right. stash. They've exclusively been hitting it. So just as a strategist, just as somebody, just as very simple as what we talk about all the time, sports, just as very simple. You play offense, what's the other side going to do? Like it, it just, it's, it's ABC logic. This isn't, this isn't, you don't have to be a master class, uh, uh, a general, a four-star general to be like, they're going to do something to try to prevent me from stealing this stash, even if I can't obviously see it. They're going, something's going to be there. Um, and so the fact that there was no preparation for that and that he just went with the gut just just on a, a specific character level, everything right there shows you that there's some type of flaw that's going on because this isn't the normal Omar that we've been seeing. So um, what makes it great writing, great show, great acting, everything like this is it is born out of something. He is so personally attached to getting even with the Avon Barksdale organization it, he is now doing things he wouldn't normally do, which then that's why it makes him a fatal flaw because in the business that he's in, when you lose or when you're wrong, you get killed. Like there's, there's not a, there's not a, 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 a penalty box, um, a timeout, uh, uh, run some laps, none of that. So this is a flaw and it's a big one because there's only his, his profession his existence deals in extremes. And so you can't have a flaw in his, in his profession. And he's showing that he does. Yeah. Yeah. It, that, yeah. It was clearly, again, clearly an emotional choice that, uh, that he's making. And, and again, paid absolutely paid the, uh, paid the price for it. Um, Burrell and Royce. So, Royce, Royce forces Burrell to take the hit for the academy class um, and some of the bad press that Royce is receiving uh, because of it. Um, and, you know, Royce basically says, you took the hit before. You know, Royce basically says, listen, you know, and this is where Royce is flexing as a mayor and as, a, as the boss. Like, hey, man, you took the hit before, you take it, you'll, you take, you'll take it now. I and mean, I appreciate, I'll appreciate, I, I appreciate both of them, Commissioner. And um, of course, Burrell isn't happy, but you know, you, you know, you're trying to, you know, Burrell, you know, wants to fulfill that term of the full five years as, as, as the commissioner, the full term. So he can't buck at all. Um, he just has to, you know, suck it up, take the hit, and, and keep it moving, and keep it moving. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Um. So this. So this is this is the big piece, kind of like. Uh, what what you were saying when when we were talking about Carcetti in terms of like like him putting people in play and hoping and kind of like hoping it works out. This is the part of his plan that has to work that he has the least amount of control over. Right. But he calculates that um, that uh, what's the mayor's name? I'm not blanking on his name. Royce. 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 He calculates that Royce is so egotistical that he won't back down. And so um, if Royce 
were more attentive to Burrell's situation <laughs> and was more empathetic. It was like, you know what? You took that hit last time. We'll figure it out a way without making you look like an asshole. Then Carcetti's plan falls apart. But his bet, his gamble plays off, which again, that gambling scene that you pointed out, that is a metaphor for this whole thing. Um uh, or analogy um, uh, for this for this whole for for this whole process because his game he has to gamble a lot in a lot of his moves, um, but his gambling is based off of being able to read people and that's what that's why that scene is important. Right. Um, and so uh, and so his read of Royce pays off in, in in this in this because he makes Burrell eat shit again it actually does exactly what Carcetti wants. It actually makes him closer with Carcetti, or pushes him closer to Carcetti. So this is a move that is paying. This scene shows the move is paying off for Carcetti. Yeah, and, and Royce also, and we'll get, to, we'll get to it later on, Royce also, I mean, Royce also knows that, like, Burrell, like, he, he also knows that he has Burrell in his pocket from the standpoint of he want Burrell wants to be that full-time commissioner. So he has that, it's like Burrell, yes. he has that leverage over Burrell. Burrell, like I said, yes. Burrell could not buck. He can, he can bite yes. his lip, he can curse him out when he leaves the room, but he can't, he, yeah. he, has, to, he has to eat that shit. But, real, here's what you have to understand though, like it's not, I mean like, or not you, the, here's what the audience needs to understand is that this is not about Burrell bucking at all. Like, like the gamble, like, like, Carcetti know, like this. He knows that. Like to the to to your point, and then to 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 bring it back to like to where the audience to to understand completely what's happening. Right? Like it's like Carcetti knows that Royce can't buck against the mayor because he's not solid in his position. Like there's not even a chance. Um, he probably wouldn't do it anyway. But it's not even a chance in there. And so. He knows, Carcetti knows the only way for, I'm going to call him Rawls, the only way for Burrell to get what he wants is to go through Carcetti. But in order to do that, Burrell has to feel comfortable double-crossing the mayor. And Carcetti has to help him feel comfortable double-crossing the mayor. Yep. So we go to uh, Bunk. Um, he continues to look for the. Um, he's continuing to. He, he's beginning to look for the gun, Dozman's gun, and he receives a call about Omar's. Um, call call about Omar's uh, crime, shooting, what what have you. So he heads to that. We'll see how that transpires in a later scene. Um, we go to Comstat. Or no, we go no not Comstat. We go to Mello, Lieutenant Mello and Colvin. Um, we have Colvin and a couple of other officers, and this is where you know we. If you want to know about, if you want to know what it looks like at a process in the terms of the process of juking the stats, this is this was, this was the scene for you because they're they're talking about different crimes and the officers are basically saying, okay, how we can maybe downgrade this to that to this and that. I'm going to various about to go into specific details of other crimes. Basically, voice, not voice, basically Coleman says, you know what? Fuck it. 
we're not we're not gonna juke anything. We're gonna give them to. We're gonna give them next time I go. To, next time we go to Comstat, I go to Comstat. I'm gonna give them clean stats. So you see, Colvin, you see Colvin refusing to juke the numbers. What are your thoughts on this thing? Um, it's definitely set up, but this is this is it's kind of like big time setup um, because the as we like they haven't in, like I paid careful attention. They still haven't introduced that language yet. It hasn't juking the stats hasn't been a confirmed um, right term at this point in time. So the closest thing that we have, uh, I don't know if this scene has come up yet. It might be after. It might be in this scene, but when they're walking away. Did we talk about them walking away yet? Walking away. Was that in this scene where all the captains are leaving and going out to the elevator? No, 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 no. We and get not, in the elevator. Okay, okay. So that's coming. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 So I won't. I won't say that part. Um, but uh, so, um, but you're you're right on. You're you're a hundred percent on point. Is is showing us the It's showing us the rules of of how they manipulate the statistics. Um, and so, uh, and so like, like it's set up in that because of course that's going to be super, super important all throughout the season, but also um, it's set up in the way in which um, Colvin uh, views this final year of his um, or this, his, his final year, whatever, whatever into his retirement. Um, and the fact that, uh, that he's, his kind of reform is going to actually be like, I'm tired of the BS. So that's just kind of like the initial introduction of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we get to, uh, Comstat. COVID of course is front and center, uh, taking heat from, um, Rawls in particular, and then later Burrell, as we'll we'll get to, and basically Coven says, you know, these are clean stats. His murder rate is up in his district. Um, doesn't make up any bullshit. Says, you know, we we're doing what we can do, um, and and you know that really just just tells the just tells the truth. I mean, he's no, he's not trying to trick them. He's not trying to give not giving any bullshit. Says this is this is what it is. Um, of course, Rawls isn't trying to hear that, and he says, uh, not Rawls, but Coven says, you know, sometimes the gods don't shine upon you, uh, something to that extent. Sometimes the gods don't favor you, and then Burrell says, you know, it's Baltimore. He says, if the gods are fucking you, you find a way to fuck them back. You find a way to fuck them back. The gods will not save you. He said, either the crime rate will fall. He said, either the crime rate will fall, or you certainly will. The gods will not save you, and of course, that is the epigraph of the episode. Um, what were your thoughts? Did, is this? Did they get back to the elevator yet? No, no, no. That's a separate scene. The elevator is a separate scene. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then, set up. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it when we get to the elevator gotcha. scene. I'll put it all together. So, you have uh, Bunk at the murder scene. So Bunk is at the murder scene. He sees all the casings. He sees the body of Omar, of the dead girl, Tasha, who's of course part of Omar's crew, and also the other dead Barksdale soldier in the street as well. And he's, uh, he's, he's there with uh, Vernon Holly, with Vernon Holly, the other officer that was on the scene that was going to be a primary before Bunk stepped in. And uh, basically, he basically begged Bunk not to have him go back to back as a primary. Um, 
and he sees the kids across the street imitating Omar. And um, there's one particular kid that says, my turn to be Omar. Don't forget about that kid. I say that is a big, big time foreshadowing of this entire series. So one particular kid, one particular kid says, my turn to be Omar. And of course, Bunk is completely disgusted by this. And again, that's some foreshadowing as well. Bunk's anger towards seeing those kids imitate Omar. So we'll we'll see how that plays out over the course of this season. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, we gotta move on. Set up, but just like you, you, you mentioned everything important. There's no way to talk about this uh, without saying it. Yeah, we gotta move on. I guess, I guess, I, and I'll say this. I guess the thing that took that, that I took away from it, besides what I just mentioned about the kid, was just how disgusted Bulk was and his facial expression, his body language in in, in that. Um, so when and when he saw those kids imitating no more, so that that was my big takeaway from from that scene. Uh, besides the obvious, was was Bunk's body language and, and seeing those kids imitate Omar. Um, we get to Marlo and Fruit. Fruit, of course, is, Fruit, of course, is one that of course ripped off Cuddy a couple episodes back. Has his own corner. He approaches Mar. Uh, he's basically called into the office by Marlo and Marlo basically says, hey man, your numbers are down, what, you know, what's going on? Fruit, of course, says, you know, Barksdale's are, are, are taking some of the drug, cooking some of the fiends that are coming up, coming up the street. And Marlo says, look, man, when I had a, when I had a shop and my numbers went down, I did something about it. He says, I just want to see a move. He says, take the youngest with you, give him a workout. And uh, Fruit, you know, says, you know, okay. And we'll see how that plays out. Uh, again, another another example of a theme of uh, of a unhappy boss uh, between Comstat and also on the drug in, in the street with the drug dealers with with Marlo. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, nah, you nailed it. This is, I mean, and this set up for what's going to happen later in the episode. Uh, Colvin, Daniels, and Balchek. Um, this is this is your elevator scene. So they're walking, the yep. commanders are walking back to the elevator and they both are giving examples of how they're going to clean up, you know, the clean up the clean up their respective districts, lower the crime rate. If, yeah, Balchek says, you know, you know, overtime, flex patrols, and all this shit like that. Um, they, all of them get on the elevator. They ask Bun, they ask Colvin, and he says, jokingly, I just might just I, I just think I'm just I'm just gonna legalize drugs. And of course, all of them, you know, thinking thinking that he's joking, begin to laugh, including uh Daniels. And um that was that for that particular scene. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean it's it, everything's been leading up to to this scene. Everything that we've been seeing has been leading up to the scene. That's why I wanted to wait on this, because to your point, Surreal, in the last when he was standing up in front. It's bizarro world, right? Because he's standing up in front of Comstat and he's telling the truth. He hasn't, to, to use the language, juked the stats at all, but that's actually bad. He's actually wrong for doing that. So him standing up and telling the truth is wrong. He should be lying. His stats should be juked. All of that should be happening. That's what Rawls and Burrell and the mayor want. That is specifically what should be doing. So him doing the opposite is doing wrong. That's important from this moment forward. 
him doing the opposite of that is wrong. So him using his own moral code, his own value system, or established value norms of society is wrong in this situation right now. And so that's why this whole thing gets flipped upside down. And so um, what I said to your point, what I meant was uh, he wasn't joking. He's actually telling the truth. Yes. The idea just sounds like a joke to everybody. And so that's the bizarro world. He's telling the truth. Everybody laughs because that seems so ridiculous. Um, and so uh, he wasn't, he wasn't joking. So every, he, the way he said it, though, he he did say it with a smile. Like he didn't say it with a straight. Like he didn't say it dead serious. So that like, I he think, was dead ass serious. He was so dead he, ass serious. He, he, he was, was dead he, ass serious. The the track of the track of the episode is like Bunny tells the truth. Nobody can see it's the truth because it doesn't fit the norm, gotcha. which is why he's a reformer, which is why he's a reformer. Um, and so, uh, so, so this, I mean, this, this is leading up to this moment because this, he definitively says his intentions and the rest of the episode, we're going to see him making, 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 the situation so that what he just said can happen. That was when the idea hit him or the night before when, when the moment where he's like, F it, just get it straight is the moment he decides he's going to enact his reform. That's why he gives it to them straight. And that's why it's a bizarre world. Um, yeah. Good scene. Yeah. Excellent scene. Uh, Stringer, Stringer and the Barksdale soldiers. Of course, the news has gotten back with what transpired with Omar and the shootings. Um, they, you know, they tell them that they uh, got one of Omar's and, but he killed, but you know, the girl shot one of the Barksdale soldiers. And um, so Stringer's basically like, you know, you know, I guess we even now. And then he says, that's like a 40 degree get. He says, that's like a 40 degree day, he says, 50 degrees, you know, 50 degrees, you know, niggas step out, step out the house. 60 degrees, motherfuckers is damn near barbecue, barbecuing. But nobody says, nobody gives a fuck about a 40 degree day. Y'all giving me way too many 40 degree days, you know, you know, get this motherfucker. Uh, he lets out, he, you know, he lets out a plan, you know, uh, says that they're gonna cover Tasha's funeral. And if Omar pops up, you know, you know, just be and be ready if Omar pops up. Uh, he refused, of course, he, Dinette calls, refuses to take the call. Shamrock tells Shamrock to hang up, hang up, to hang up the phone. And then at the end of the scene, which was the comedy part of the scene, the guy, so he tells him, well, he tells him, he lays out the plan. And then one of the dudes says, yeah, we're going to be on him. And then the dude, Sapper, says, like a 40 degree day, which tells you that he completely didn't understand the word that Stringer said. And Stringer just shakes his head. Um, go ahead. I'll let you go. Then I have a question for you. Go ahead. So, um, I, I like this scene because again, this is showing the evolution and the maturity of the writing going from procedural to more dramatic, um, to become the ultimate story that the, the wire needs to become. It needs to evolve to, to that level of storytelling. Um, and, uh 
this is another example of um, they, of course, recognize the actor that Idris Elba is. And so just gives him so much dialogue to chew on. And by chew on, when I say that, I mean, gives the actor the ability to take the dialogue on it, put it into like their own, for lack of a better word, swagger, and then change the tempo of the dialogue. Um, uh, 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 writer Aaron Sorkin is famous for this when he gives a character just kind of like a speech um, to just kind of like just really, really go into. Um, so I really like that scene for this. Go ahead with your question. So when he's, when, you know, Stringer's going into him, um, do you think that the plan he laid out for Omar was he, did he actually believe Omar would pop up or do you think he's trying to save face by showing by showing himself to be a strong leader? No, that's been consistent. Oh, so I think the plan is consistent with the plan that the Barksdale organization has always had for Omar. Um, so I don't think that that was, I don't think that was anything out of line. The thing that I would question would be this plan hasn't been working. So maybe you need to switch it up a little bit. I mean, I'm not even knocking. But it's consistent. I'm not knocking. It's consistent I'm actually, with the plan they've always had at Omar. And yes, he's trying to be tough in front of, he's always trying to be tough in front of his group. Right. Because that's, that's the knock on Stringer. Stringer's the intellectual one. Right. Not the tough one. Not the muscle. So, yeah, he's always doing that. Yeah, I I, I thought I, like I wasn't even knocking the plan per se, uh, but I was just, I thought he was trying to yeah I, I thought he was yep. trying to yep. save some face, uh, yeah in terms of that. All right, so we have Cuddy goes to the school uh, to see his old flame. Uh, he see he sees her walking. This is not we'll we'll see how this scene plays out. He actually he's watching her uh, get out get out get out of her car and walk into the school. Um, this is a setup for a later scene we'll see between between those two. Um, Voice and Burrell. Uh, so they're, Voice and Burrell, they're in a meeting where uh, it's Team Voice, basically. You know, he has Burrell there, he has his chief of staff, and a couple other members is with Delegate Watkins. So it basically has, has his team, and they're discussing the murder rate, and Burrell, Burrell in the meeting points the finger at another at another person in in, in Royce's uh, on Royce's team. They get into a little argument, and then Royce kind of calms down, calms down, calms down. The argument says, "Hey, we're all on the same team." He says to the guy, the guy whose name is Demper, the white guy, name was Demper, says, "Hey, me and you are gonna be counting votes this time next year." And he says, uh, "Let's pretend like we're on the same team," and then. One of them, the chief of staff, jokingly says, "I don't think any of us wants to get a real job." Uh, so they, so they leave on, you know, a relatively good term from that standpoint. Voice walks out, Demper walks out, and you're left with Voice, uh, the chief of staff, and Delegate Watkins, who we will see as this season plays along, will have a major role in moving forward. Delegate Watkins basically says, "Look, you're weak on crime." Uh, Demper is a hack, but he's an elected, elected hat hack. So giving you some insight on the political game. He says, he says, but you know, you need to move on um, Burrell. He says Burrell is dead wood. You need to get rid of him. There's some, you know, there's better out there. And Boyce says, no, 
um, he's on the team. I value loyalty. Um, and he also, and Watkins also, and this is this is one to kind of like remember for the future foreshadowing as well. Watkins not only recommends that he get he gets rid of Royce, he recommends that that Royce gets not that he gets rid of Burrell. He recommends that Burrell get rid of somebody uh, a character that we haven't seen yet called named Unetta Perkins. And um, she says he basically says she's had her time. Get rid of her. Uh, Royce again. Royce says no. I value loyalty. She's on the team. So I think this was a, a just very important scene in regards to giving you insight on who Royce is and the fact that he is not listening to a guy who, who we don't know, we don't know the importance of Delegate Watkins at this point, but we figured that this guy is an older guy. He's been around the game. We figured that this guy knows the game just based on his age, just based on the fact that, you know, he's an advisor to Royce. So Royce is not listening to him. And I, I thought this was a very, very pivotal scene moving forward for this, for, for not only this season, but also for next season as well. What were your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it is, but it's, it's very mass. There's no way at this point in time for me to know that just based off of what what is seen in this room but to your point there's a consistent theme and the theme is loyalty royce wants people who are loyal above everything else around him um and that can potentially put burrell in a very bad situation um and so uh that it gives us kind of like a it gives us a line into like why Carcetti has to be so careful with with how he handles the uh, Rawls and Royce situation. Yes. So we have um, Landsman and Bunk. Bunk, of course, is working on a uh, looking into the murder that happened with you know with the bar sales and Omar, and instead of looking for the gun. And Landsman catches him. Landsman lets and Landsman lets him know that listen, this gun is priority number one at this point, and you want you know you should be looking for this gun. Uh, the bosses want the gun, and that's 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 just the way it is. Landsman has an important line in this scene as well. He says the girl that got killed, Tasha, you know Omar's uh, partner, says she's dead in a zip code that doesn't matter. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I think that that illustrates a lot. Um, but more importantly, um, there's this tension between, um, you know, like you say you want to stop the murders, but then you want to take a veteran murder police off of murders to look for a gun to right. save the police department embarrassment like yeah. those two things don't go together um and so you get a sense of the hypocrisy of it all no question about it essentially no question about it uh mcnulty Kima, freeman and perlman they're discussing the details new assignment um mcnulty uh lets them know that uh tells them that d'angelo barksdale uh that D'Angelo Barksdale's uh, was not a suicide. 
you have, of course, but you have Freeman and uh, not Freeman. You have Perlman basically standing up for standing up for Daniels, of course, because he's dating them about the case and you know saying that he's under this type of pressure, um, under the pressure to bring the murder rate down. Um, what were your thoughts on, on this scene? Shut up. You have uh, Omar, Kima, I keep mistaking her name, Kimmy, Omar, Kimmy, and Dante. So this is later on, of course, at, this is at night. They're back at Omar's spot, Omar and Dante's spot. Everybody, of course, is you know in a horrible mood based on what transpired. Omar is in the room by himself, uh, laying on the bed, and he burns a cigarette in the palm of his can in the palm of his hands as a means of, you know, paying, I guess sure that was paying his respects and punishing himself at the same time for the uh, for what happened to Tasha. Uh, he comes out, takes full responsibility for what transpired, um, for what transpired. So it's all, it's all it's on me, it's my fault. I need y'all to hear this. And Kimmy basically basically Bates says, you know, that does nothing for me. Uh, Dante doesn't say anything. Um, what were your thoughts on this thing? Yeah, I mean, like it, it's it's um, it, it exactly like uh, Kimmy said it the best. Like it's uh, it's a acknowledgement that Omar failed in every way possible. Yeah, um, Michael K. Williams was great in the scene. By the way, um, he. Yeah, his just his acting in the scene was great. Um, I think I love vulnerable Omar um, because we, you know, this guy like he's one of the most beloved characters, maybe the most beloved character on the show. Um, we see Omar, you know, rob drug deals. We see Omar destroy Levy in the courtroom, but when we see Omar. And I think it was, it was very important for the for the show to show that yeah he you know he's kind of like you know, he's this mythological mythological figure but there are still some flaws and um, we saw it last season not last season we saw it in season one when he got shot by Weebay and he's out there struggling he's out there you know feeling looking uncomfortable with all the heat that's on him you know had the gum next stuck to his door and things of that nature. Fast forward to now, he makes a move that completely was you know, the wrong move and he pays the price for it. So I, I like how they put it, I like how they bring him down to earth versus the amount of times they make him look like, you know, this larger than life character. I, I, I liked how they, walk, I like enjoy how they walk that balance up until this point in the series. So you have um, McNulty and Kima. Uh, they're drinking at the at the normal spot there where McNulty and, where you would see McNulty and uh, Bunk. So Kima, I, I, actually, I thought this I thought that was Bunk taking a piss, and then all of a sudden, then Kima came out. Oh, that's Kima. So she so she comes out, and they're basically both complaining about their home lives, uh, about their very about their spouses. Uh, in, in the case of McNulty, his ex-spouse. And then towards the latter part of the scene, he tells Kima, you know, I want to go down 
lay, I want to go down to the, around the Western to see what's going on since the towers came down and what's going on from that standpoint. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on this scene? Um, set up and just kind of like close the book on like Kima and her home relationship or another male, just, just cementing it. Also gives you some insight into, in terms of Kima almost becoming Mignoti like. Look at that too. I mean, they're teasing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we see Cuddy getting dressed up. Cuddy, you know, gets a uh, gets a couple rounds in on the in the bag on the bag. You know, Polly gets his you know gets his shirt. Polly shines his shoes. Cuddy Cuddy is getting ready. Cuddy gets dressed up, full suit, uh, getting ready for uh, to go see his ex uh, his ex flame. Grandmother gives him not grandmother, mother. His mother gives him some gives him some money before he leaves. And uh, no, you're right. It's grandma. It's his grandmother. Yeah, his grandma. All right. Yeah, his grandma gives him some, gives him some, his money gives him some money before he leaves. And we'll see how we'll see what happens when he meets up uh, with his old flame. What were your thoughts on this this scene? This quick scene. Mm-hmm. Shut up. We have McNulty and. Uh, Kima looking at Marlo and the Barksdale crews. So at this point, they don't even know who Marlo's crew is. They don't know anything about Marlo at this point. So they see opposite crews. They see crews on opposite parts of uh, sides of the street. Um, they recognize, of course, the Barksdale crew with Bodie and Poop and what have you. Uh, and they're trying to make sense of how the Barksdales could, the towers can come down and the Barksdales could just spread out without bodies dropping. So we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll see how that where that leads to. Then you have uh, you have McNulty get a call that Ray Cole has just has just collapsed on the stairmaster, and that's of course we'll see how that that we'll see where that leads to as well in, in this later on in this episode. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, set up. Fruit and Marlo. So yeah, Fruit's crew. Fruit follows Marlo's orders, and he they beat up the Barksdale's crew. They beat up the Barksdale's crew. They pull up in a car with uh, about at least four of them. Two of them pointing guns at the Barksdale crew, and they beat beat about four or five Barksdale crew members up with with bats and pull off. Uh, what were your thoughts? I set up. Simple as that. Beat them up. They follow Marlo's orders. Herc, Carver, McNulty, and Kima. So Herc and uh, Kima and McNulty go down to the Western District to see if they can get some information on what's going on in the streets uh, since the towers went down. And Herc and Carver have nothing uh, in regards to what's going on. And basically, and Herc basically says, you know, this has been quiet because they, you know, you know they, the streets know what we'll what we'll do to them, which we know is is a bunch of bullshit. And Kima has an important line in this scene. Says basically tells her tells Carver, "There's a police is only as good as the CIs." And that was probably that was the most important line in that particular scene. What were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean this is this is the mostly set up, but that that is the important line in there. You're absolutely right. Colvin in the Western District. So um, Colvin tells uh, the Western the Western District officers that they are moving all street trafficking 
to designated 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 areas to sell drugs. Um, now he kind of he gives them the he gives them the truth, but not the entire truth because he says once we move them there, then we're gonna jump out. We're gonna jump out on them, right. which is not true. So he tries. To, he kind of makes it seem like this is gonna be like a elaborate undercover sting operation, which is not the case. Uh, what were your thoughts? I mean, like th- that. That's the that's the major point. Like, like now, now, COVID needs to make these things happen, and we'll see it in all of our reformers saying you want something to happen differently is one thing. Actually, making it happen um, is is its own thing. And most times, when you do that to make something happen, and they get the general public or whoever your the people are who need to make it happen you have to play around with the truth or you have to massage the message probably the better way to say it um and so this is his version of massaging his message because he knows just saying to his troops um we're not going to arrest drug dealers no more and that's it will not go over well not at all um you have uh cuddy and grace so they finally meet up uh at the school cuddy courses in his suit tells her Grace's course is a, is a teacher. And uh, and by the way, the actor, actress is the same character that played her uh, her sister. She played both characters, her and her sister. Uh, she tells her, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> hey, save money. Um, uh, yeah. She tells him that uh, about some potential job opportunities, he tries to make, I don't, I don't think he was trying to make a pass at her when he said, when he said that Hurst look at you. Because at that point, I mean, she told him that she had, she had a son. He, she, he saw the baby seat in the car and, you know, the son was named after her father, after his father. So this basically, he basically was just reminiscing on the past from that standpoint. Says that, you know, Hurst look at you. She says, well, then don't look. And she gets, she, he gets, she gets his number about the possible job opportunities, which is something that you'll, we'll see how that flushes out over the course of the season. Uh, what was your thoughts with their interaction? Uh, yeah, set up. And of course, she, she, by the way, was surprised. You know, she asked him, you know, uh, were you driving a Lex? Because she knew, you know, of course, she dated him. She dated him when he was in the game, working for the Barksdales, and, you know, tells her that, you know, you, I'm on a, you know, got a bus pass. So she kind of was, yeah. she kind of was impressed by the fact that he, you know, had turned around his life. From that standpoint, I mean, um, like these, these are the important. Let me say that these are the importance of the cutty scenes. Is like how challenging it is. I haven't spoke on this, and I should probably should should yeah. should say yeah. something. I've been more focused on spring spring so I've been more more focused on stringer and all all of that. Um, the importance of the cutty character is and, and why he's uh, why he's one of the main symbols of reform. In, in this is there's two things a prison reform right like what does it look like for somebody who goes to jail and authentically wants to make a better life for themselves or or not authentically that's the one word um who who sincerely who seems to sincerely wants to make a, another life for themselves when he gets out of prison what we've seen and what we continue to see are all the challenges that are in part of that process like literally like his grandmother had to give him money like he can't get a job his grandmother has to give him money it's not setting somebody up for success, the way in which they come, they come out of prison and all the different things that are, that are being asked for. So that's what the show's 
trying to show with Cuddy and in, in potential, particularly the Cuddy character is all about like how, how you can, can be one person one at one moment in particular, like with Cuddy, he was a drug dealer. He was in the game. He was, you know, murderer, blah, blah, like all the different stuff going inside the prison. Now coming out, he wants to be something different. He just doesn't know what it is. And this is part of that process. And you're absolutely right. When he says the words, when he says the words, it hurts to see you. Essentially what he's saying is it hurts because I've lost 15 years of my life. And now I see how you've had the opportunity to evolve as a person from, you know, when when they last left each other, she was around enough around the game. Maybe she was on her way out or had gotten away from it, but she was enough around the game that they got involved with each other. And now he looks at her and sees a completely different her. And that hurts because she's had the opportunity to evolve. All he's been is stuck in prison and thinking about the life that he lost and not having that chance to to evolve as a person. And so that's why the Cuddy character is important in this season. It's all about not only like, not prison reform, because they're not trying to reform the prison, but but reform once you get out of prison. And then what does that actually look like? How do you navigate? How do you navigate that process? That's why Cuddy's important. Yeah, well, there'll there'll be some powerful Cuddy moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's stuff later, coming much later on. Coming up in a couple of episodes, um, without question. Um, so you have Bubbles, Johnny, Kima, McNulty. Kima and McNulty are going to get Bubbles, of course, anytime they need some information. Who better than to go to than one Bubbles? Uh, Bubbles is at a soup kitchen, soup kitchen, and uh, Bubbles basically says, "Look, you know, I would, I'm down for whatever. I, you know, I need some money." But Johnny, of course, is you know completely against it in terms of snitching. And what have you, uh, Bubbles is like, all right, you do what you want to do. I'm, I'm out. Uh, uh, well, he tried. First of all, he took. He tries to convince Johnny, and he actually, he actually was taking taking too long. And then, you know, Kima had to check him. He's like, Kima had to check Bubbles, and he's like, look, we ain't got all day. Let's, you know, let's go. Um, and then we find out at the end of the scene that uh, Officer Cole uh, has has passed away. Uh, what were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, set up. So we have Carcetti is at an event, um, story telling the story. He's with the family, and we see him eye a young lady at the bar, uh, which would be a setup, of course. Um, quick scene, but it, it it was enough in the scene to let you know how smooth this dude is in terms of like, like he has a gift of gab, the gift of gab in terms of storytelling, like he can engage the audience with his storytelling. So I, even though this was a quick scene, even though this is definitely a setup scene, it gave you enough to let you know that this dude, you know, to add on to this dude, you know, in terms of his, his storytelling and just like he, you know, the, and the actor was brilliant, the actor's brilliant, by the way, you know, I forgot the actor's name, uh, Adrian, Gill- Adrian Gillian or something like that, but uh, just his ability to engage an audience, which is uh, a gift in itself. Uh, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I'm go- you you dug a lot out of that. I'm gonna go set up. Okay. No, it was quick scene. I mean, it wasn't too. It wasn't. Uh, 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 it wasn't too much in the scene. Uh, Donette Shanrock Stringer. Um, Stringer sees the battered Barksdale dealers after, of course, they took him to beat him from Marlowe's people. Donette, of course, continues to call. 
Uh, he tells Stringer, tells, can you call Shamrock? Uh, of course, uh, Shamrock, you know, uh, Stringer refuses to uh, take the call. And Bodie tells Stringer, Marlo is a problem. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, yep, that's, that's what we were leading up to. Most people have gotten on board with the business aspect of this, not Marlo. So that was, that's kind of, that was the announcement of that. Marlo's going to be a problem. Yep. Carcetti and Burrell, um, we see them discussing, um, discussing, we see them discussing him taking the hit for, uh, for Royce. And again, you know, Carcetti is being careful in terms of how he has to navigate those, uh, those, you know, muddy waters, so to speak. Uh, what were your thoughts on this thing? Yeah, yeah, pretty much set up. But I like how you said being careful navigating those muddy waters. So we at Cole's wake. Uh, and before I get into the scene, officer, if you didn't know, Ray Cole. Uh, the guy who played Ray Cole was the one of the executive producers of the show, Robert Colesbury, who died unexpectedly before season three. He um, was one of the more respected out from from the stuff that I read. Outside of Simon and Burns, they probably they make Cole, they make him out to be like he was probably the most important part of the show. Like this dude. Well, he died, so there's a lot. Sorry, <laughs> keep going, keep going. No, I'm keep saying going. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I do know what you're saying. Okay, so this cat. So yep. uh, we keep saw going. we saw his character who played you know the the incompetent rake officer Ray Cole. Maybe that's a little harsh and competent, but just the, the bungling kind of bungling detective Ray Cole over the, over the first two seasons. He died unexpectedly before the before season three premiered. So this was a dedication to him from that standpoint. Yeah, he's laid yeah. out, laid out on the bar, in a barroom pool table, as the as you have Lansman, <coughs> excuse me, Lansman giving uh, his eulogy, and we this will not, of course, be the first time we see that done in this uh, particular series. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole setup? Uh, all the officers gathering and you know, playing the song, playing, you know, playing the music and the whole, that whole, this whole particular scene. Yep, nope, you said it perfectly. It, it, they were, they were memorializing him. Also, we have uh, Carcetti and family. So Carcetti uh, is wrapping up the event, uh, not wrapping up the event, sends his family home and uh, tells his wife, you know, God, have a couple, you know, got a couple more people got to talk to and so on and so on. Of course, we know it's bullshit because we saw him earlier eyeing a young lady at the bar. And um, we'll see how that plays out uh, at the end of that, at the end of the, at the end of the episode. So probably, you know, another scene setting up uh, in the, the episode. Um, Bulk and Minolci, uh, they are outside the bar. Both are completely just wasted. Um, Cole comes out uh, as they discuss Cole, excuse me, as they, as they discuss Cole. And of course, Bulk Chai kind of comes at Mignotti a little bit saying that, you, you know, he checked out of here having a clearance. You know, you you owe him a clearance from that bird case with the with Omar. And, you know, Mignotti says, yeah, I know. And then you see Norris, who's also drunk, comes out 
gives them a shot and then proceeds to just throw up right in front of the funeral people who just are just, who are just you know, shaking their heads. And, um, and then after he throws up, Bulk gives him a cup of beer, just, you know, uh, so just a bunch of basically drunk cops uh, celebrating, you know, off, you know, the death of Officer Cole. What were your thoughts on this scene? Uh, set up. Not even set up. It's just the same. So we have um, Carcetti. Of course, Carcetti has sex with the lady from the event that he had been eyeing throughout the course of the, uh, the course of the night. Um, nothing big here, you know. Carcetti cheating on his wife. Um, then we have Slim Charles and the Barksdale soldiers. Uh, they, of course, at the at the orders of Stringer, cover Tasha's funeral, and you have Omar paying his respects. Um, behind, watch smoking cigarettes behind a, a tree. Of course, the Barksdale's, Barksdale's don't see him. So, okay. And this is why, this is why I had to ask you about the plan that, that uh, Stringer had about covering the funeral and, hey, maybe, maybe Omar pops up. So he's, Omar is right there. Like he's literally across the street behind the tree. So if you have if that if that it was the plan, right? Why none of why 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 were none of the Barksdale soldiers even like looking in that vicinity as far as or in that area to see if Omar would pop up? I mean, I couldn't like they couldn't believe that he would actually walk in the funeral home to pay his respects. So I that's I'm not confused by that, but I was kind of like he actually did show up. So that's why I asked you about the plan that that, that Stringer had uh, with um, covering the funeral. What, what, what were your yeah. thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, like, there's there's no functional thought. Like, the the scene is what it is. But that, like, if if I'm going to zoom in with you on like why a character is why things happening the specific way that they're happening from like what's going on with the character standpoint, then um then the consistent thing is. Uh, the Barksdale organization as existed at the very beginning of season one no longer exists. It hasn't existed like that for a while gotcha. since the end of season one. Oh. So they've said many, many times we don't have muscle. Right. And, um, you know, even with what we know and who we know is there, um, it's not a lot of muscle. And so, yeah, you can put a plan in place, but you still need the people to execute it, right? Yeah. So that that's how I would resolve that one. So you had uh, so that wrapped up the uh, that wrapped up the episode. Um, of course, you know, with themes, you know, I talked earlier about unhappy bosses. We saw Marlo coming at Fruit Stringer coming at his crew, Royce going after Burrell, Rawls, going after subordinates. So uh, that a lot of unhappy bosses in this uh, particular episode. Who was your Chardine? Who was your Chardine and also MVP? So my MVP is very clear. It's uh, it's Colvin. Like, it's very clear to me. Okay. It's Colvin. Okay. Um, uh, in this episode, the Chardine one is not as clear to me. I don't know who kind of like stole the show in this one most it, it was it was a pretty consistent episode all the way all the way around and so i think if i went sharding 
for anybody, I would probably give it to Carcetti for that um that scene uh like I talked about with him, Tony Gray and um and uh the reporter. Um just the way everybody played that scene was was pretty pretty damn fantastic in general. Um so yeah, so I think that's that's the way that I would go. I had a tough time with the MVP, so I'll go Chardine first. Chardine, I had Landsman at the weight. I thought he was good in that scene. Okay, nice. That's a good one. Yeah, I thought that. And because not only because he was good at that scene, I eulogies are like to give eulogies that that is a that's a that's a that's so that is the difficult, difficult like job to give somebody's eulogy. Like you it's just like that balance of saying good things and not over talking like that as a is you know i've never given a eulogy but i you know, obviously been to funerals it's not it's not an easy job not an easy job by any stretch of imagination so i thought he handled that just as well as you could possibly handle it and i thought the actor did dope was tremendous in that scene mvp i had the i had it connected with the theme that i had i thought the bosses I thought I had all the bosses, whereas Marlo, uh, the mayor, Ross, it was not even so much the bosses, but the idea of that, even, even as the boss, even when I'm right, I'm wrong, I'm right. And we've all been there before. Like, <laughs> you got, you got, you, you know, shit trickling down, like, even like that idea of just having this, you know, somewhat carry the water for the boss at some point in your respective career, per se. So I had that 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 ideal as the MVP, even more so than the actual uh, bosses. So that um, of course is episode three, Dead Soldiers of The Wire. Uh, of course, next week we'll have episode four, Amsterdam, where we'll see bunnies, you know, try to, you know, flush out his plan uh, in, in terms of what he, what he, in terms of what he's do, trying to do as a uh, as a reformer, that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast Wire Remix. As always, thanks to Rob Sat for joining the podcast. I will see you next time, buddy. All right, everybody, be safe, be healthy, and stay dry. Question. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I will have a pod. We, this podcast will probably be dropped, I would say, tomorrow. So be on the lookout for it tomorrow. Also, another podcast as well. I'm out.